I am not the only one that the devil tried to give a hard time to this morning, so I'm going to tell you what I did about it. I just got real quiet. You can ask everybody in the family. I was exceptionally quiet today. And all I said to God was, I said, Father, let's just go preach one this morning. <laughs> yeah. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to spend some time together in the Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And want to pick up at verse 20. Father, once again, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is life. It's power. It overcomes everything, every obstacle in our lives. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. We thank you that you've been preparing the soil of our hearts for days now, Father. And that we're ready for your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of the message today is In a Great House. In a Great House. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Now in a great house. Say that with me. Now in a great house. One more time. Now in a great house. They're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Anybody want to fit that description? You want to be used by God? We're just going to get ready today. Amen? We're just going to get ready. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, in verse 21, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. A man used to visit a tiny general store in the country. The owner of the store had a clerk named Jake, who seemed to be the laziest man in the world. Anybody ever known Lazy, a lazy person. <laughs> One day the man noticed that Jake was gone. He asked the owner, where's Jake? Oh, he retired was the answer. Retired? Then what are you going to do to fill his vacancy? The owner replied, Jake didn't leave no vacancy. <laughs> the owner replied, Jake didn't leave a vacancy. That leads me to ask, what kind of vacancy would there be in the church if I left? What kind of vacancy would there be in the church if you left? I'm not just asking about you, I'm asking about me. What kind of impact would it have on the church if I left? Listen to me carefully. It's God's clear intention from the passage of Scripture that we've read today, it's God's clear intention that every one of his people should be used in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us gifts to each one to be used as good stewards. And yet for so many, personal faith is sometimes like a football, like football, an occasional Sunday spectator sport. They're not serving Christ day by day by day by day. You know, if there's one thing I've picked up on in this pandemic is people are either drawing closer to God or they're they're moving further away. 
They're either drawing closer or they're moving further away. The longer this thing lasts, the less concerned or worried I am about it. That's a better word. Not the less worried about it I am. Amen? God is moving. God is doing. God has goals that he's accomplishing. Can you say amen? But if we only truly, if you truly know Christ, you can't be happy sitting on the bench or just in the stands. Amen? You want to be in the game where the action is. Our text reveals the kind of person God uses. You may think that God uses people who have impressive abilities and gifts. While spiritual gifts play a part, they are not the only feature in being used by God. You have to listen carefully to me. I mean, isn't it wonderful when the Spirit and His gifts move through you and uses you? But it's not the do-all, the end-all. I'm going I'm to prove it to you in the Scripture today. While seminary has its place, I know of many men and women who graduated from seminary, but they're not even in the stadium, let alone in the game. Or you may think that God uses a person who has great knowledge of the Bible. Being careful students of the Bible is very important. It is still not the only thing. You can be a renowned Bible scholar and yet be detrimental to the cause of Jesus Christ. The simple message of our text is that God uses cleansed people who are defined by two characteristics. And let me prove this point that I just, that line I just said before that. How many of us have watched national news about particular leadership in the church failed and did great damage to the body of Christ and to the message of Christ in this world? God help us all. Amen. The simple message of our text is that God uses cleansed people who are defined by two characteristics. God uses cleansed people who flee sin and pursue godliness. If you start with those two, all of those other things I mentioned can be a part of your life. But without these two, it's difficult. Barriers exist. I'm going to prove it to you in the Word. Paul's telling Timothy how to deal with some difficult problems in the church at Ephesus where he's ministering. In the verses just before today's text, he encouraged Timothy Timothy to use the scriptures properly, not like Hymenaeus and Philetus, whose false teaching had led some astray. He reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who, those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Why can I, why can I get away with really hitting this hard today and, and, and we'll take it? You know, sometimes pastors come out like, you know, with gloves on and treat the church like a punching bag. That's not my goal. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to say is if you want to come out on the right end of this pandemic, get, get right with God. Get it right with God. Amen. Just do what it is that you know in your heart that he's talking to you about specifically. Amen. Now he urges Timothy to be a cleansed man who flees sin and pursues godliness summed up under four qualities. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace with the Lord's true people. Paul uses the illustration of a large house that has different kinds of vessels. The gold and silver vessels are kept clean so that they may be used for honorable purposes, such as dinner parties. 
The wood and earthware vessels are used for dishonorable purposes, perhaps in the kitchen or to carry out garbage or maybe even to remove human waste. It's that bad. They often get broken and are cheaply replaced. It would be easy to misapply uh, Paul's point here. If you took his illustration to its logical conclusion, you could say that dishonorable vessels serve a legitimate function and thus are just as necessary as the gold vessels, but that's not his point. Rather, the large house represents the professing or visible church. I believe that most people associate with the church are truly born again. Others, such as the false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus, are probably not born again. Do you understand what I'm saying? They are vessels for dishonor. Paul is saying that no one should be a vessel for dishonor. To put it another way, he's saying that God isn't going to use a garbage pail life to serve the pure gospel to a hungry world. Can you imagine being a guest in a wealthy home where you're seated around a magnificent table? The kitchen door swings open and the cook comes out with a garbage pail and starts dishing the food out of the pail. Even so, God isn't going to use dirty lives to serve the good news of Christ to the world. Rather, one, one, God uses cleansed people. God uses cleansed people. Note three things. One, you must choose the type of vessel you want to be. You must choose the type of vessel you want to be. Clearly, Paul is presenting us with a choice. Do you want to be a gold or silver vessel used for honor, or will you be a cheap clay pot used for dishonor? Again, you may think, well, both are used of God, aren't they? The answer is yes, but you don't want to be used as a vessel for dishonor. It's interesting that Paul uses this illustration also in Romans chapter 9, verses 21 through 23, although with a different emphasis. And listen carefully, because we can't ignore, we can't grasp one part of the Word of God and ignore the other, can we? In Romans chapter 9, verses 21 through 23, it says, Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Verse 22 says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory? In this text, Paul's emphasizing God's sovereign right to do as he pleases with his creation. You can't take that away from him. Amen? As the potter, he can do whatever he wants with the clay, and the clay has no right to challenge the potter. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 21, 20 through 21, Paul emphasizes, uh, emphasis is on our responsibility to cleanse ourselves from the defilement of sin, especially the sin of false teaching, so that we will be vessels of honor. The Bible is clear that as a sovereign of the universe, God uses even evil people for his righteous purposes. He uses Satan and the demons even though they're opposed to him. In Moses' day, he raised up Pharaoh and used him to demonstrate God's power. 
He used Judas in his plan of putting Jesus on the cross. In Acts chapter 4, verses 27 through 28, it says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Also in Proverbs 16.4 puts it like this. The Lord has made everything for his own purpose. Even the wicked for the day of evil. So if you're thinking then we're just robots or puppets. You're wrong. The Bible also clearly declares that each of us. Is a responsible moral agent. Although God ordained that Judas and Herod and Pilate. Would play roles in crucifying Jesus. Each of those men were guilty sinners responsible for their own terrible sins. We get mad at God because he knows the future, and we shouldn't. We have no right. I can't, I can't help it that God's so intelligent, God's so smart, and in the wisdom of God, he knows everything that's ever going to happen. It doesn't mean that he forced it or made it, but he knows it. Can you say amen? So Paul's point in our text is you have a choice. Will you be a filthy vessel that God uses for dishonor or will you be a clean vessel that God uses for honor? You're accountable for your choice. Next point. Cleansing starts as your responsibility. Do I confuse you sometimes? <laughs> I'm going to sit close to the word of God so you get the gist of it. Cleansing starts as your responsibility. Note in verse 21 it says... Therefore, if anyone, if anyone, isn't that what it says? If anyone cleanses himself from these things. In the context of these things, in this instance, refers to the false teachings that were being spread. I want to be clear about that. It's worth noting that false teachings are not just mental mistakes. They are sins that need to be cleansed out of our lives. When Paul says that a person needs to cleanse himself, he's not teaching that by our own efforts we can atone for our sins. If you could do anything uh, like that uh, about your sin, then the death of Christ was pointless. But you can and must avail yourself of the means of cleansing that God has provided in Christ. Christ does not force forgiveness on anyone. We have to make a decision in our lives. And that's your responsibility. If you come into your house dirty after a day of working in the yard, you don't lick yourself clean like a cat, do you? If you do, I don't want to know about it. All right? Rather, you make use of soap and water to clean yourself. The soap and the water are means of cleaning but you make use of them by applying them to your body. Soap and water is great, but if you don't use it, you don't apply it, it does you no good. Do you know how the blood of Jesus Christ gets applied to your life? You make a decision to receive it. Amen? You have a choice. God provided the blood of Jesus as a means of cleansing us from all of our sins according to 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. There's a sense in which we are completely clean the moment that we trust in Christ as Savior. Do you understand that? But we walk in the world where we can get defiled. 
When we confess our sins, we apply the blood of Jesus to our dirty lives. Sometimes things get messy. Sometimes we don't always make the right decision. But making a quality decision to talk to God about the specifics of our lives is how the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to us. Amen? When we confess our sins, we apply the blood of Jesus to our dirty lives. To be a vessel for honor, you must walk in the light, confessing all known sin to God. Why is that so hard for people? You know, I'm going to remind you again for the 1,000th time. God already knows how dirty your life is. Why are we so afraid to go to him and talk to him about it? You know, you don't surprise God. You don't, you know, you don't make him love you any less. Matter of fact, if you go to him and confess your dependence upon him, that's how, that's how the help comes. Amen? Making a decision to go into the throne room of grace and kneel before God and talk to him about the mess that may be your life. Now, let me get real specific. The mess that is all of our lives. Amen? You think for one minute, oh, Pastor Dennis is X number of years old. That's how I'm going to say it from now on. X number of years old. He doesn't need to do that. I have to do it every day of my life. Every day of my life. Don't you put me on a pedestal. I can't stand there. I can't stand there. Put me, when you think about me, see me on my knees before God. Amen? It's the only way. It's the only way I could stand in this pulpit this morning. Amen? Praise God. To be a vessel for honor, you must walk in the light, confessing all known sin to God. Vessels of dishonor walk in the darkness and do not cleanse themselves from sin. So you must choose the type of vessel you will be. Cleansing yourself to become a vessel of honor is your responsibility. And don't mistake that cleansing yourself for any other thing than going to God, making a quality decision to go into that throne room of grace. Amen. And talk to God about these things in your life. God doesn't drag anybody into the throne room of grace. He doesn't drag them. He doesn't drag them in. Amen. You have to make a quality decision. And that's what I'm talking about with cleansing ourselves. It's making a decision to go be with God and let him take care of business. Amen. Cleansed people are useful to the master and prepared for every good work. I want to say that again. Cleansed people are useful to the master and prepared for every good work. You know what I love about that? It's not some good work. It's not a little bit of good work. It's every good work. Have you ever watched someone minister and the Holy Ghost is moving through them and, and the gifts of the Spirit are flowing and going? You ever thought, man, that's nice. I like that. Well, you're, you're a potential piece of conduit. For the Holy Spirit to move through. Just get ready. Amen. Cleanse yourself. Go into the throne room of grace and let God start to take care of some junk. Let God clean the pipes out. Amen. So that the Holy Spirit's free to move. Give vent to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not even going to elaborate on that except to say that if anybody in this room's ever done any plumbing, you know exactly what I just said. You give vent to the Holy Spirit. After I, I wrote this note, cleansed people are useful to the master and prepared for every good work. That's according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. 
there are six points here about cleansing that I want to share with you. Number one, cleansed people are sanctified. You ever been confused by that word? You shouldn't be. I'm going to explain it to you right now. There are denominations out there that believe that after you get saved, you can come down to the altar and pray, and the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're sanctified. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't quite see that in the Word of God. I'm going to show you what I see in the Word, all right? And I'm going to give you some Scripture references. We could take weeks just going over this, but, but let's do this. So what does sanctified mean? The word means set apart unto God. To make a decision, you know, to go in the throne room of grace, let God take care of all this loose junk, amen, and, and set you apart. God will set you apart, amen? The word means set apart unto God. It's used three ways in the Bible. That's what I want to share with you. Through the death of Christ, believers have been sanctified once for all. Listen to me now carefully. Where I get that? I got it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. In your spirit, all things get set right. Do you understand what I'm saying? You ever heard of the phrase Paul talked about you got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? You get saved. Your spirit. Yeah, I mean, everything changes. Old things pass away. All things become new. We say, well, Pastor Dennis, why do I still find myself doing such and such? Here's the thing I'm going to tell you. It changed in your spirit. And you better work your salvation out with fear and trembling all the way to the outside so that my hands, my head, my feet, my eyes, what I lay my eyes on, all of those things line up with the sanctification that God's already established in my spirit man. Do you know why you're going to live forever? You're going to live forever because you're a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. All right? You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. That's why you're going to live forever somewhere. You're an eternal being sitting in this chair in this room today. There's never going to come a time in your existence where you don't exist. Amen? All right. So through the death of Christ, believers have been sanctified once and for all. Then, listen to this. As we grow in Christ, we should be continually conforming to his image. So, sanctification, boom, happens in my spirit man. Amen? When I get saved. And then I find out in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7, that as we grow in Christ, we should be continually conforming to his image. So it's an ongoing process, right? And then number three, finally, when we see Jesus, we will be like him, which is the ultimate sanctification talked about in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, when the struggle will be over. So do you see how it happens in three ways, kind of, you know, three different ways? Amen? In my spirit, boom, it happens. I'm sanctified. Amen? I'm saved. I'm a child of God. But there's a whole lot of work going on to get the salvation that, that the way it is established in my spirit all the way out till it shows with our words coming out of my mouth, what my hands do, what I lay my eyes on, where my feet go, and the decisions I make. Amen? So in our text, Paul's talking about the process of sanctification because it's a process. Can you say amen? 
We must be growing in the process of being separate from all doctrinal and moral evil. Set apart as clean vessels for the Lord's use. Number two. We're going to pause just for a second. My computer liked to jump here. You ever heard of such a thing? Cleansed people are useful to the master. Cleansed people are useful to the master. Master, the Greek word for master, is also where we get our word despot. D-E-S-P-O-T. Despot. It emphasizes Christ's absolute lordship. Cleansed people are useful to the master. Paul's point here is that dirty vessels are not useful to the master, except for the purposes that you don't want to think about. We mentioned some earlier. I don't want to be that kind of vessel. Have you ever been in a restaurant and discovered a previous customer's dirty egg crusted on your fork or your plate? Do you just eat it anyway? (laughs) No, what do you do? Yeah, get a different plate or a different fork, amen? You don't eat somebody off of somebody's dirty fork or dirty plate, especially today. Can you say amen? (laughs) Right? The dirty one is not useful. It's not useful. Can you say amen? In the same way, if our minds embrace false teaching and our lives are tainted by sin, we're not useful to our master. God will just use a different one until you get right. Amen? Number three, cleansed people are prepared for every good work. I like that, every good work. Cleansed people are prepared for every good work. Prepared has the idea of being willing and ready. Can you say amen? The cleansed vessel is waiting for the master to pull it off the shelf and put it to honorable use. I like that. Dirty vessels are not ready to be used in this manner. Have you ever been grumbling about something when you encountered a brother or a sister who needed a word of encouragement or prayer? Because of your present spiritual situation, you may not have even noticed the need, let alone responded appropriately. We've all missed opportunities. Amen? But if you're cleansed, you're ready to serve the Lord in any good work that he sets before you. Paul's point brought out well in our text today is that God uses cleansed people. He goes on to show what this work looks like in practice. Number four, cleansed people flee from sin. They flee from sin and they pursue godliness. There are two commands, flee and pursue. Flee and pursue. We are to flee from youthful lust and pursue what we may sum up as godliness. Broken down under four qualities, righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That is, peace with other believers. Now, flee youthful lust. I'm going to talk a little bit about this. Why? Because I want you to be uncomfortable. (laughs) A little humor there. Now, flee from youthful lusts. We usually associate the term with sexual temptations, but as one older seminary professor once told me, men, they aren't just youthful. The word translated lust may refer to any desires, although it usually refers to sinful desires. So while sexual temptation may be included in youthful lust, it may not be the primary focus. 
Paul was probably referring to wrong desires that younger men are more prone than older men are, prone to than older men are. However, true disclosure, however, as an older man, I will humbly offer this warning. It's not just young men that suffer from this spiritual malady or the phrase dirty old man would not exist. Is your pastor not just being honest with you today? Amen. God help us. Amen. Also, Paul was telling Timothy that while it's right to defend the faith against serious errors and to stand firm on the central doctrines of the Scripture, there's a right and a wrong way to go about it. Have you ever met anybody that wanted to, you know, brag about their knowledge of the book and brag about being spiritual and so forth and so on? Uh, Yeah, dangerous stuff. So here, what Paul is warning Timothy against is the wrong way, which is to be arrogant about how much we know, impatiently to blast those in error, and to be argumentative and self-assertive. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it includes things like patience, kindness, and gentleness, along with self-control. Being young and impetuous is not in this list. Paul says to flee these youthful temptations. The Bible also commands us to flee from some other sins. I just wrote them down real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, flee immorality. You don't flirt with it. You don't just stand there and pray about what to do. You don't get near it. If it comes knocking, run for your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 says, flee from idolatry. Now, this is an interesting one. You may be thinking, well, at least that one isn't a problem for me. I've never, I'm never tempted to set up an idol. And I wrote this, this one word with a big, huge question mark. Really? Really? You've never, you're never tempted to set up anything in the place that rightfully belongs to God alone? Do you have any idea how long the list of things are that you can do that with? Everyday things, if you're not careful. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 tells us to flee also from the love of money. Do you ever look at rich people and think, I want to live that way? You know, I found myself yesterday just thanking God for what I got. You know, it's so far above and beyond anything I could ask or think that I don't dare ask for more if God wants to give it okay fine he'll give me the grace but I'm not begging him for him Mm -mm. Uh -uh. do you look at the rich and think I want to live that way I wrote run are you tempted to be greedy rather than generous run cleanse people flee from sin number five cleanse people pursue love you say well I'm just I'm just a naturally loving person. I got news for you. I hate to be the one to break it to you, but no, we're naturally selfish. That's what we're naturally good at. That's why Paul commands pursue love. It means effort. You got to go after it. Amen? That requires getting your focus off yourself and onto others so that you can treat them as you would want to be treated. Amen? 
It means giving your time to listen to someone who's hurting. It means uh, befriending someone who's lonely. Sometimes it means having the courage to talk to a brother or a sister who's in sin with the aim of restoring them to the Lord. It means being patient, kind, considerate, and not easily provoked. Pursuing love means investing constant effort to love others. And then number six, cleanse people, pursue peace with all who call on the Lord. Peace usually doesn't just happen. You have to pursue it deliberately, sometimes with much effort. It is debatable whether the comma should be inserted after peace in the scripture itself. With the comma, the sentence means that you should join with other believers in the common pursuit of peace. Without the comma, the idea is that the peace that you should pursue should be with other believers. Here described as those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I did some research into this. Where is the comma belong in this passage of scripture? And why didn't it go here? Why didn't it go there? And why is it important? I saw a t-shirt the other day. It had a Tyrannosaurus Rex on the t-shirt. And the top phrase was, let's eat kids. Dinosaurs would eat kids, right? It says, let's eat kids. And right under it, it said, let's eat, comma, kids. <laughs> let's eat kids. You know what I'm saying? Not let's eat the children, but let's eat kids, right? Because where the commas place, and underneath the dinosaur, it said, punctuation saves lives. <laughs> <laughs> So it's important where the comma goes, right? Either way, just pursue peace with everybody. Amen? The implication of the command is that even though Christians can all call upon the name of the Lord out of their hearts that have been cleansed from sin, they still will have conflicts and misunderstandings with each other. Thus, they need to pursue peace with one another. Wow. The world's way of dealing with misunderstandings or conflict is to nurse hurt feelings, to spread gossip, and to stand up for your rights. Now, look, I understand we've got rights. Amen? I will not stand up for any right that tries to take its place between me and God because he's given me the right to enter the throne room of grace, and I will let nothing interfere with that. Amen? I'm not saying that rights aren't important because they are. We all know that, right? You don't go out here and say, Pastor, he don't like rights. That's not what I said. Amen? Mm. Jesus said that this is so important that even if you're worshiping, leave your worship and first be reconciled to your brother or your sister in Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 and 24. Recognizing that is difficult. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Amen? So pursue peace. I have a four-sentence conclusion, and we're going to pray together. Do you know I look forward to the day, and you need to know this. Let this get ingrained in your heart and mind. Pandemic gets over with. We're going to close our services entirely different. They're going to be closed in prayer. People, if you want a fellowship, you've got plenty of room out there in the lobby to go fellowship, but there's going to be altar calls. People are going to find places to pray, and we're just going to pray till we're done. Amen? They don't like us getting close together yet. You know what this means today? That I'll do this conclusion, and I will encourage you, take to heart what has been said today. 
and go find yourself a place and make a quality decision before God to be cleansed. Amen? It's a great honor for an athlete to be put into the starting lineup of a big game. But even greater than the honor of being used by the coach is to be used by God. To be in his starting lineup, you don't have to have great talents. To be used by God, you have to be a cleansed person who constantly flees from sin and pursues godliness. That's simple. It's that simple. Amen? Our God is a good God. Can you say amen? Amen. One of the things that's happening in the great revival in this country, and some people hear that and they go, what, what great revival? Do you understand that God's hand is moving in this country? God's pursuing his goals, amen? And at Lifespring Bible Church, we just pray, God have your way, amen? God have your way. And in this great revival, God is challenging the iniquity in the church first, first. Amen? And then people outside of the church are either going to be drawn to it or they're going to be repelled by it. One of the two. One of the two. You know, I find myself praying for the neighbors in my neighborhood because I do not want them to stand before God one day and judgment be passed on them and they know in their hearts. Carl Dennis, the pastor down on the corner, never said a word to me that may have changed my life or may have turned me from this direction that I've been in. And I'm not the only one that should feel that way. God help us all to live our lives and speak the words of life. You know, we, we talk about loving the people in our lives and loving the people in our neighborhood. You know, constantly every day, if you pray for your neighbors, little things will happen Little doors will open, and you will get a chance to say a word or a sentence or a little something. And oftentimes, it's that person asking you a question, a simple question about why you do what you do. Why do you say what you say? How do you live what you live? It's not hard. You just tell them after that. Amen? And then just... Hey, do you mind if I pray a little prayer with you? Do you realize that if you ask a person a question and they say yes, they can't get mad at you. (laughs) They said yes. Amen? And then you do what you need to do. Find a place to pray today. Amen? Let's get right before God. Let's get ready. The great revival is unfolding with or without you. Amen? God, don't leave me behind. Well, I've had fun here today. Amen? How about you? I cannot begin to tell you what it means to me as your pastor to see your faces in this room today. You've been patient with me. You've been kind. I appreciate it. I see you sitting there with your mask on. Stand up. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the love that you've placed in my heart for the church, for the body of Christ. Thank you, Father, for every person in this building today. I even pray for those children down there in Children's Church. Father, I pray that they've met with you, Lord. That they've learned something from your word. 
that you've ministered to them and through them and you're helping to shape and mold their lives. We're so grateful for that. Father, I thank you for the plans that you have for us. They're great plans. Mm. Unfolding in the lives of your people and unfolding in the near future of Life Spring Bible Church. Thank you for all you're doing, Lord. It, it's so wonderful. Father, I want to pray for each and every Christian, each and every person in this room, in the sound of my voice. Lord, glow in our hearts today, I pray. Shine in our hearts today, I pray, by the power of your Spirit. Forgive us all of our sins and shortcomings, Father. Cleanse us afresh and anew with the applied blood of Jesus Christ to our lives. Father, I believe your word, and it says there's a Lamb's book of life, and everyone who's ever going to enter into heaven and be with you forever, their names are in that book of life. Father, I pray that all of us would reach out to you today and thank you for our name. That, and, and we proclaim the book's real. Your, your Bible said it, so that settles it. The book is real. The names are in it. Father, in Jesus' name, may our names be in it to bring glory to you and honor to you. And we thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ's death on the cross for our sins. Thank you that that grave, that tomb is empty. He was resurrected. He was seen of many. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at our right hand, and you allowed the Holy Spirit to fall on this planet, on this place, Father, in Jesus' name. And the Holy Spirit is here to minister and change lives and save people. We thank you, Father, for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Father, as we physically leave this building today, go with us by the power of your Spirit. May your angels accompany us. Thank you for being the blessing to our lives that you are and all that you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.